The Little Wolf of the Air for Coffee Break Collection number three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. The Little Wolf of the Air by Charles G. D. Roberts. The pool lay shimmering and basking in the flood of the June sun. On three sides, east, west, and north, the willows and birches gathered close about it, their light leafage hanging motionless in the clear, still heat. On the south side, it lay open toward the thick grassed meadows where bees and flies of innumerable species flickered lazily over the pale crimson clover blooms. From the clover blooms and the vetch blooms, the wheel rayed daisies and the tall umbels of the wild parsnip, strange perfumes kept distilling in the heat and pulsing in across the pool on breaths of air too soft to ruffle its surface. Above this unruffled surface the air was full of dancing life. Gnats hung in little whirling nebula, mosquitoes, wasp-like flies, and whirring, shard-winged beetles passed and repassed each other in intricate lines of flight, and here and there, lucently flashing on long, transparent veined wings, darted the dragonflies in their gem-like mail. Their movements were so swift, powerful, and light that it was difficult, in spite of their size and radiant color, to detect the business that kept the dragonflies so incessantly and tirelessly in action. Sometimes two or three would hurtle out for a brief expedition over the blossoming meadow. Often one would alight for a moment on a leaf or twig in the sun, and lie there gleaming, its two pairs of wings flatly outspread in a way that showed every delicate interlacing of the nerves. Then it would rise again into the air with a bold, vehement spring, and whenever it began its flight, or whenever it abruptly changed the direction of its flight, its wings would make a dry, sharp, rustling sound. The business that so occupied these winged and flashing gems, these darting iridescences, was in truth the universal business of hunting. But there were few indeed among all the kindred of earth, air, and water, whose hunting was so savage and so ravenous as that of these slender, and spirit-like beings. With appetites insatiable, ferocity implacable, strength and courage prodigious for their stature, to call them the little wolves of the air is perhaps to wrong the ravening gray pack whose howlings strike terror down the corridors of the winter forest. Mosquitoes and gnats they hunted, every moment, devouring them in such countless numbers as to merit the gratitude of every creature that calls the mosquito its foe. But every summer fly, also, was acceptable prey to these indomitable hunters. Every velvet-bodied moth, every painted butterfly, and even the envenomed wasp, whose weapon no insect can withstand, was not safe. If the dragonfly could catch her engrossed in some small slaughter of her own, and, pouncing upon her from above, gripped the back of her armed abdomen in his great grinding jaws, her sting could do nothing but dart out vainly like a dark licking flame, and she would prove as good a meal as the most unresisting bluebottle or horsefly. Down to the pool, 
through the luxurious shadows of the birches came a man and stretched himself against a leaning trunk by the waterside at his approach all the business of life and death and mating in his immediate neighborhood came to a halt and most of the winged kindred except the mosquitoes drew away from him the mosquitoes to whom he had become so to speak in a measure acclimatized attacked him with less enthusiasm than they would have displayed in the case of a stranger and failed to cause him serious annoyance he fixed himself in a position that was thoroughly comfortable and then lay quite still the man's face was under the shadow of the birch tree but his body lay out in the full sun and the front of his soft white summer shirt made a patch of sharp light against the surrounding tones of brown and green when it had for a time remained quite still the patch of whiteness attracted attention and various insects alighted upon it to investigate presently the man noticed a very large steel-blue dragonfly on rustling wings balancing in the air a few feet in front of him at this moment from a branch overhead a hungry shrike dashed down the dragonfly saw the peril just in time, and, instead of fleeing desperately across the pool, to be almost inevitably overtaken by the strong-winged bird, it dashed forward and perched for refuge on a fold of the dazzling white shirt. The foiled shrike, with an angry and astonished twitter, flew off to a tree across the pool. For perhaps a minute the great fly stood with moveless, widespread wings, scintillating aerial hues as if its body was compacted of a million microscopic prisms. The transparent tissue of its wings was filled with a finer and more elusive iridescence. The great, rounded, globose, overlapping jaws, half as big as the creature's whole head, kept opening and shutting, as if to polish their edges. The other half of its head was quite occupied by two bulging, brilliant spheres of eyes, which seemed to hold in their transparent yet curiously impenetrable depths a shifting light of emerald and violet. These inscrutable and enormous eyes, each one nearly as great in circumference as the creature's body, rolled themselves in a steady stare at the man's face, till he felt the skin of his cheeks creep at their sinister beauty. It seemed to him as if a spirit, hostile and evil, had threatened him from beneath those shining eyes, and he was amused to experience, for all his interest, a sense of half-relief when the four beautiful wings hurtled crisply and the creature darted away. It would seem, however, that the fold of white shirt had found favor in those mysteriously gleaming eyes, for a minute or two later the same fly returned to the same spot. The man recognized not only its unusual size and its splendor of color, but a broken notch on one of its wing films, the mark of the tip of a bird's beak. This time the dragonfly came not as a fugitive from fate, but as a triumphant dispenser of fate to others. It carried between its jaws the body of a small green grasshopper, which it had already partly eaten. Fixing the enigmatic radiance of its eyes upon the man's face, the dragonfly calmly continued its meal, using the second joints of its front pair of legs to help manipulate the rather awkward morsel. Its great round jaws crushed their prey resistlessly, 
while the inner mouth sucked up the juices so cleanly and instantaneously that the repast left no smallest stain upon the man's spotless shirt. When the feast was over, there remained nothing of the victim but a compact, perfectly rounded, glistening green ball, the size of a pea, made up of the well-chewed, shell-like parts of the grasshopper's body. It reminded the man of the round castings of fur or feathers which an owl ejects after its undiscriminating banquet. Having rolled the little green ball several times between its jaws, to make sure there was no particle of nourishment left therein, the dragonfly coolly dropped it into a crease in the shirt bosom and rustled away. It chanced that this particular and conspicuous individual of the little wolves of the air was a female. A half hour later, when the man had almost grown tired of his watching, he again caught sight of the great fly. This time she alighted on a half-submerged log, one end of which lay on shore by the man's feet, while the other end was afloat in deep water where it could rise and fall with every change in the level of the pool. Quivering and gleaming with all her subtle fires, the dragonfly stood motionless on the log for a few seconds. Then she backed down close to the water's edge, thrust her long, slender abdomen a good inch into the water, and curled it under her, as if she were trying to sting the hidden surface of the log. In reality, as the man at once understood, she was busy laying eggs eggs that should presently develop into those masked and terrible larvae of hers, the little wolves of the pool. She laid the eggs in a row under the log, where there was no danger of the water receding from them. She moved along the log daintily, step by step, and her wings fluttered over the task. The man had taken out his watch as soon as he saw what she was about, in order that he might time the egg-laying process but he was not destined to discover what he wanted to know. The dragonfly had been at her business for perhaps two minutes, when the man saw a large frog rise to the surface just below her. He liked all dragonflies, and for this one in particular he had developed a personal interest. Suddenly and violently he jumped to his feet, hoping to chase her away from the approaching doom, but he was just too late. As he jumped, the big frog sprang, and a long, darting, cleft tongue clutched the busy fly, dragging her down. The frog disappeared with his prize, to come to the surface again at the edge of a lily-pad a few feet off, and blink his goggle eyes in satisfaction. He had avenged, though about that he cared as little as he knew, the lives of a thousand tadpoles. End of The Little Wolf of the Air by Charles G. D. Roberts